getting through to you. That's a point you understand. There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. We have uh, an excellent governor general right now, and I think on top of the COVID crisis, nobody's looking at uh, uh, any constitutional crises. Oh, yeah? Well, uh, apparently she's not such an excellent choice, and we could be in a crisis, which should be parked right at that man's pretty little feet. Alex Pearson with you on this very challenging Thursday, January 21st. Holy day. What a day. I mean, honestly, I struggled not just with the online learning, which has got me all crazy, but I struggled, you know, what do I zero in on? Because there was just so much going on today, which is, you know, we've got it through the show, but so much going on that I was like, what do I, what's the story? What is my vision? What am I going to talk about? And then boom, boom, boom. We had this breaking news late today. Involving Governor General Julie Payette, who has now resigned, and I'd say pretty much in disgrace, after this very scathing report, um, which suggests that she and her secretary uh, created a very toxic worse workplace. And this story has been, like the rumors have been circulating for months, but an independent review looked into what is called, quote, workplace abuse allegations against Payette. Well, Bob Fife got his hands on this report, and he broke the news, which seems to confirm the allegations that, say, Payette and her secretary would, quote, gang up on staff, uh, calling them things like lazy, bullying them, belittling their work, and bringing staff to tears. And because she's the, um, she serves as a Queen's representative, if Trudeau just can't fire her, she either had to step down or Trudeau would have had to have called the Queen to get her permission. I mean, can you imagine making that phone call? I'm sure the Queen has a few things on her mind, but yeah. Hi there. Um, like, I, I hired a really cool astronaut, but we didn't really screen her. Um, and it turns out she's a bit nuts. Can you fire her? I mean, literally. What do you say? I mean, the rumors have been there. And, and Trudeau, as you heard in that clip, he's always maintained she's an excellent governor general. Well... No, she has not been. She's actually been a walking red flag since being hired by him. And it's clear that no one in his office, like no one, did any screening of her, background checks. They didn't even Google her. I mean, don't you do that with everyone? I'm going on a date with you, Google your date? I mean, everyone, who doesn't Google? But no, they didn't, they didn't even do that. I mean, maybe they just didn't care because she was so cool. She's an astronaut. They ignored the warning signs because right after Payette's appointment, an expunged second-degree assault charge from 2011 surfaced. I mean, it was a charge laid back when she was living in Maryland, and the alleged victim was her then-husband, a retired Air Force pilot. That charge dropped. But then we had learned of that, and, and just as we're hearing that, we learned that Payette was also involved in a no-fault fatal car accident where a woman was killed. She was never charged in that. But these are things that, had you done a basic Google check would have surfaced. And without question, these are the kinds of red flags that would have disqualified her or any other candidate because no politician wants a sniff of trouble associated with the appointment of a governor general. Just, just you can't. You've got to be squeaky clean. But there were also lots of red flags that would surface about Payette. You know, she didn't want to show up for work. She didn't even yet seem to understand that her job was a ceremonial job. She didn't like going to ribbon cuttings. She didn't like when she was required to attend events. That's her job. Cut ribbons. Have fun. And she didn't like it. 
She didn't like the detail that was there to protect her. She didn't like any of that. And Trudeau should have dealt with that then. And he didn't. Because of the we scandal and then, of course, COVID, he has been skating on this brewing scandal. And now, you know, his chickens have come home to roost. Because he chose Julie Payette. And now she's a major embarrassment to this country. You know, had he acted sooner, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. But here we are now. We have no governor general. Embarrassing headlines around the world that I'm sure the queen will find none too humorous. And she apologized for what she's calling the tensions. The tensions. Like the vapors? I don't know. The, t- the tensions at Rideau Hall um, in recent months saying that Everyone has a right to a healthy and safe work environment. And then she adds, we all experience things differently. Are you kidding me? Who wrote that? Did Mr. Trudeau write that for you? Like, is that the go-to line for liberals? People experience things differently. Okay. Nonetheless, then Trudeau sends out a statement, quote, she's fulfilled her duties to uphold parliamentary democracy and serve the public. What is he smoking? Clearly she didn't do her duties. I mean, she's accused of being Satan by dozens of employees. She's accused of berating and embarrassing her security detail. She wanted a hundreds of thousands of dollars of renovations done to the mansion we pay for, including the building of a secret staircase so that she could escape the security detail who were trying to protect her. I mean, she clearly did not do her job. She clearly was a bit spacey. And it's a great gig. You make, what, 140 grand salary a year? You get a free mansion? Free travel? You cut ribbons? You get an expense account for life? Are you kidding me? She didn't fulfill her duties. And she does not deserve that expense account. Should all these findings prove true, may I add? Because I'm sure she's got very expensive lawyers now. So he'll have explaining to do tomorrow because this is uh, unprecedented. It's never happened, certainly in this country. It has happened in other Commonwealth countries, happened in Australia, but it's very, very, very rare. And so tomorrow, after he gets off his phone call with Joe Biden, which I'm sure he was very excited about, this needs to be parked at his little pointy feet. He owns it. He appointed her. And he didn't do his job of, you know, checking the background. And apparently didn't protect staff working for her. I, I won't apply for the job, I'm pretty sure. They don't want me doing it. But I would do it happily. Cutting ribbons for 140 grand a year, I'd do that. No, I'd do it for less. That's a pretty nice job. Not the only headache also that he's dealing with today, because Doug Ford is now doing his job when it comes to vaccines. Oh, yes. He put Pfizer on blast today, telling them that we can't and shouldn't be sidelined. This uh, falls uh, solely on, on Pfizer for letting it de- letting us down. And uh, this, this goes right down. Every day we lose, uh, it's, a, it's a day we've lost in the war. And, and it's a death. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the longer we take to get these vaccines, people are dying. Mm-hmm. He's right. We should not. But um, I don't think this kind of political theater will change anything. I really don't. I mean, the world is fighting to get their hands on these vaccines. So I don't think Pfizer's all of a sudden going to say, oh, Premier of Ontario is uh, speaking up. What do you think? They may listen to a prime minister who has bags of money. Problem is, Mr. Trudeau can't be bothered to pick up the phone. I think what um, is getting to be real clear is that those in charge are going to be relying on the vaccines to get us out of this thing and lockdowns. Lockdowns and vaccines are the strategy, which is just nuts. 
Because by now, 11 months in, those in charge have come up with a plan for us to live with this thing, to give us some kind of semblance of normalcy. This is not sustainable. We cannot just stay locked down. We still, we can't keep kids out of school and just wait. I mean, the province's top dog says we can't open up until cases are under 1,000. Well, we're nowhere near that. So if this is the plan, then we're going to be locked down until well into the spring. And it's just not acceptable. It's not humane. And so we'll talk about this throughout the show because businesses can't survive. Apparently close to 200,000, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, they did the polling on this, could be crushed by the second wave. I mean, that's, that's not okay. And Sick Kids is raising the red flag again. And we'll talk to the CEO of Sick Kids later in the show, but school closers should be a last resort because of the collateral damage. They are seeing explosive numbers with uh, increased depression, anxiety, eating disorders are apparently through the roof. Those things don't just go away. If you've got an eating disorder, they stay for life. That That is not something that just goes away. These mental health concerns, I mean, we're picking winners and losers. And kids are turning out to be the losers. And, I, and, and today at the Provincial Update, Dr. Yaffe was asked if anyone in charge has done a cost-benefit analysis of the long-term harm to kids. You know what her answer was? Uh, no. Why, why would you guys bother? I mean, you've only had 11 months. Again, it speaks to the policy being made, no data to back it up. I mean, we're picking winners and losers. And kids, we know by large, are not getting okay uh, getting COVID, which then, you know, we have to ask ourselves, are we okay then risking all these lifelong side effects? I mean, can we not find a balance here of weighing the risks of COVID, which data shows are not a major threat to kids, and the long-term care that, uh, harms that are going to happen to the kids? So what we will talk about this. We have uh, an excellent governor general right now, and I think on top of the COVID crisis, nobody's looking at uh, uh, any constitutional crises. Not so sure about that, but she sure ain't excellent. Uh, certainly an unprecedented day with the governor general, Julie Payette, resigning after this independent report was tabled to the prime minister, revealing and possibly confirming rumors that had surfaced months ago. That's uh, when the CBC started reporting that dozens of staff were coming forward with allegations, alleging abuse, bullying, belittling uh, staff and security. There was a lot of excitement, though, for the prime minister when he announced Payette. I mean, you go back, he was very, very excited to have her become, you know, female astronaut governor general. And this is despite the many, many red flags that should have warned them that the astronaut may be great in space, but not so great for the general governor general position. And I, I mean, I don't know if they did a basic background check, because had they done that, I think they could have avoided a lot of this. Certainly a fatal car accident that she was involved with would have been raised. Certainly the expunge assault uh, in 2011 um, would have surfaced. Um, and, and maybe if they'd ask her, like, do you do ribbon cuttings? Do you like that stuff? Do you like, you know, going out to schools and doing trips and stuff? Are you good with that? Because she didn't even like the job. And today she put out a statement and in her, in her statement, her defense is that, well, people experience things differently. Like who wrote that? Trudeau? It's just crazy to me. Jason Later is president of Enterprise Canada, also a conservative who happened to work in a prime minister's office, one Prime Minister named Stephen Harper, and I bet you this wouldn't have happened under your boss. <laughs> you know, it's 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 well, it's not funny. It's a brutal situation, and you know, the old we all we all experience everything differently. 
you know, where'd that line come from, right? Uh, when yeah, Mr. Trudeau was, uh, you know, uh, in front of the groping element. Groperstein, yeah. He came out. And, so here's here's the here's here's the truth about Mr. Harper. Uh, you know, not a perfect man. Neither is Mr. Trudeau. Um, I remember in 2000, 2008, 2009, we're sitting around in PMO and, it, you know, we started to realize, say, the GG is going to come up for a reappointment or for an appointment in 2010. We're going to have to figure out who the GG is. And I remember we're sitting around kibitzing, right? Like Bobby Orr, Jean Beliveau, Pinball Clemens, Celine Dion, you know, like we're we're throwing around names. You know, great. Yeah, exactly. But like, we're, you know, we're, you know, you're thinking about well, bilingual, but got to be, you know, sort of have a Q rating of like, you know, you got to be supported by pretty much everybody. And Harper leveled us with his gaze and looked at all of us. And, you know, with a, a sort of a series of four letter words said, like, it's not a, a you know, X, X, X joke. Um, we actually need somebody good. Like, I'm, I'm not this isn't a political game that we're playing here. And it was, you know, it, it shows the sort of wisdom of the guy uh, back then. So he, what he did was he put in place for really the first time a series of, of, of experts to advise him on who the next GG should be and, and come up with a list of names. They came up with a list. It was David Johnston who was the mm-hmm. ultimate uh, choice. He was, I think, widely seen as one of the best that has ever done the job. And that's not Mr. Harper. That's the, the experts brought him a name and he, he, uh, he, you know, he chose this name. And then, you know, when we had an election in 2015, Mr. Harper asked him to stay on for two more years. He did till 2017. Good for him. So that's the way the process should work. And Mr. Trudeau decided, you know, in his infinite wisdom in 2015 or 2017, I don't need to look at any of that stuff. I've got my, I've got my lady, you know, she's, she's going to be terrific. And he owns this. It's his scandal. He's wearing it. And, you know, it's, it's pretty brutal. Well, I mean, he had the cover of the we. I'm not sure he'd think this cover, but he had, he had COVID and the we scandal, which distracted, I think, um, from this story because this had been simmering and brewing for a while. The CBC had been bringing forward allegations for months. So he, I mean, really, he wasn't getting pressed on this thing, but we knew that this was. But is it possible, Jason, that they didn't do a background check on her? I mean, how could they possibly think? And I, and I, I'm just saying this. I can't imagine. Had a background check uh, put, pulled up those expunged charges or the fatal car accident, I would think that would be a cancellation of any political appointment because you just don't want that um, any tinge to a position like that. I don't believe that they didn't do any background check at all. The, the Privy Council office, um, you know, I've been involved in this kind of thing. They they would have brought forward um, at least what was publicly available. There was certainly no proper vetting process. Any proper vetting process would have disqualified Ms. Payette because her you know, when, when you sort of look back, her her record of mistreating staff at the Montreal Science Institute is also pretty well known. Like that was pretty mm-hmm. widely known. And and Fife, Bob Fife was reporting today that, you know, sort of amongst the astronaut community, it was pretty well known as well. And so, you know, they, they clearly they, they decided to go ahead over the objections of some people who probably thought this was a great idea. Listen, they got they had. So Mark Arnault would have known. Would he Mark not have been Arnaud able to been lean into the exactly. Mr. Trudeau's head? Uh, kind of a bit nutty. No, you ask him to stay stay after the cabinet meeting and say, hey, Mark, what's Julie like? Right. Like, and, you know, she's Mm. not great. Um, But here we are. Um, We've got a minority parliament. We've got an election coming in the spring or the fall. We're going to have a new governor general, um, you know, to decide presumably how to handle some of those sticky situations. There are real consequences to this, right? Like this is this is the this is the head of state. This is the commander in chief of our armed forces. And we're sitting here um, because. He decided not to do a background check or a full a full vetting, and he knew better that we've got no governor general right now. It's crazy. I, I can't. I mean, Buckingham Palace has put out a statement saying that they are aware of the situation. I, I can't imagine that the Queen would be very happy because the Prime Minister can't fire the governor general. He has to take it to the Queen, and then she has to either dismiss 
um, or the governor general would have to resign. So she's not happy. Um, I mean, there's talk that maybe David Johnson go back into the job, which I think everyone would be happy with. Um, and so there will be that that penalty. And I don't know how that will, will plan out. But how does Trudeau wear this? I mean, it, it should be. I mean, he gets away with so much. At some point, something's got to stick. But I, I don't even know. If this <laughs> you, you'd think so, but not really. Um, you know, and, and and there's a lot of things to worry about. But, you know, the, the, and, you know, we sort of like chortle, uh, you know, we scandal this, that. So there, there's there's real victims in this one. Right. So there's like 100, yeah. 150 staff at the at, at Rideau Hall. So the clip you played off the off the start that was on September mm. 2nd. So, you know, nearly mm. five months ago, right? Yeah. So five months ago, this had been going on for years. Uh, it was well known, by the way. Like, I, I, you know, you have sources. I have very good sources as well. I know that I know that they were very concerned a couple of years ago already about her behavior generally. So in September, <laughs> in September, don't do anything. in September, he says mm. she's excellent, right? Like that's September. Now, I don't, I don't. I, I don't take any joy in the fact like he was in a very tough position. It's his appointment. She's the head of state. Um, you know, we got a problem here. I don't, it's not an easy situation, but he put himself in that position and four, five, nearly five months ago, he said she was excellent. Now, how many people were bullied and harassed uh, for the last five months when she was trying to save her job? I mean, that's, that's not a victimless crime. No, it's not. I mean, there were reports of abuses to staff, abuses to security, who she apparently tried to hide from. I mean, she wanted to build a, a very expensive secret uh, staircase in the free mansion that we pay for um, to, to evade them. I mean, apparently, if, you, if the rumors are true, she was a, a monster to work for. And so does that then implicate the, the prime minister? I mean, if he knew that these allegations were around for a couple of years and that staff were being abused in a position like that, uh, and he, and he didn't do anything. There are, there are have to be implications here. Well, think about think about um, you know think about in you know let's say you you know you you work chorus global. right? My company so, would so, not put up with this crap. Yeah, exactly. I assure the, the you. CEO of global, right? Like no. you know, like no, no, no. You know, ha- has this kind of stuff. It's not happening, right? No. Like the CEO no. of the Royal Bank hires somebody to be the chair of the board, and then there's a three years of bullying people and and you know sort of these constant like harassment complaints. You're gone. You're out. You're out of there. Now I realize they're in a difficult situation. I'm not. Uh, you know, like I, I, this is more difficult than uh, that kind of situation. But like, of course, the CEO wears it. It's your hire. You hired her. And in fact, like the search committee that you that you disbanded because you had the perfect candidate, you, you like that. That's on you, bud. You you did this. Right. So um, he wears and it. So it's a scandal. He should. And, and maybe he'll talk to the press tomorrow. Maybe he'll get busy all of a sudden with that call with Biden. But um, I mean, I don't know what happens now. I mean, when you're a governor general, um, you go on to, to lead a pretty good life. You get a lifelong expense account. I mean, uh, Adrian well, Clarkson has been like, a year and, and a pension. Oh, are you like kidding? The- Adrian Clark? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get the pension. But Adrian Clarkson's been chalking up a million dollar expense account for years now doing what? Who knows? But does she still get that? She, she does, sadly. Now, to your point you made earlier, Alex, you know, she doesn't like doing much, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and this was the this was the irony is, is for the last year, uh, the liberal PMO has been spinning against her with all sorts of media. Like, who do you think were the sources of all these stories? Right. Like they were, uh, yeah. you know, staff at, at Rideau Hall and they were PMO staffers sort of saying, you know what, the governor general is not really up to the job. Like they, they were trying to sort of bring her back into line. And so here we are three years later, we've got this disastrous situation where, to your point, she's she's an employee of the state for life now. You know, she's she's uh, she gets it all. She gets the full pension. She gets the full meal deal. She doesn't have to give any of it back. It's it's a disastrous situation. And and everybody, whatever you think of the monarchy, 
the GG like has generally been above reproach. It's been a couple of little things over the years, but generally stays out of it. Well, this brings mm-hmm. all that back up again, I think, right? Yeah, it does, which becomes a further kick uh, to the queen. Um, and she's about the only one I like and respect um, in, in the royals. But I, I just think that like she, she's got to be just shaking her head. But this is this to me is just for those who, who criticize your old boss for being a control freak. Now, you know why he was a control freak. Yeah. On this one, maybe a little more control freak. Like maybe just maybe just ask a couple more questions. Maybe just pull up the <laughs> computer and Google some stuff. Maybe just, just you know like pick up the phone and maybe call down to the cops down and you know and when, why did she stab that guy down there? Like I, I know the charges were expunged, <laughs> but like you know you know why it's really 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 messy and it's the most basic stuff. And there's his staff. Like this isn't his job either, right? This is his staff's job. Who, who mm. they're, they're supposed to protect them. They're supposed to protect the country. And this is the mm. highest possible appointment. This is the most important important appointment they, they can make. And they completely cocked it up. Well, stay tuned. We'll see what happens with this and what else uh, gets uh, dug up. And I, sh- I don't think the story is quite over yet, but you never know with this guy. He's well, we still got to see that report, Sp- Alex, Pam, he's it, gonna... it sounds like it's going to peel the paint off the walls, right? There you go. Hey, anything not to talk about COVID. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Jason, I appreciate your insight because there's a few of you that have it and uh, you're one of them. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. See you, Alex. Jason uh, Leader is with Enterprise Canada. And and you really only can get the perspective of a few people who've worked in the prime minister's office as to what might happen. Will he get away with it? I don't know. The guy is like literally covered in a can of Pam. He must put it on every morning because nothing sticks to him. I have to think something might stick to him at some point. Maybe it's this. One thing that seems to be coming clear to me is that those in charge have seemed to have chosen lockdowns and school closures as the answer to beating COVID, with not a lot of thought being given to the collateral and long-term damage. And without question, the longer schools are closed, the greater risk we're putting our kids at. And despite the high community spread, SickKids has issued a report today, and they still say school closures should be a last resort should be as short as possible, and can be done safely. And so far in that first semester, they were doing pretty well, as long as we have the proper safety procedures in place. I guess it's going to come down to picking winners and losers, and a lot of people seem to be okay with putting our kids in an experiment of, you know, maybe they'll lose out. I want to bring Dr. Ronald Cohn into this conversation, president and CEO of Sick Kids. Good to have you, doctor. Thank you so much for having me. I want to talk to you a little bit because I just listened to the provincial update um, earlier with Dr. Davila, and she was actually asked, did the province do any kind of cost-benefit analysis of the long-term hearts to kids? And the answer was no. And I don't understand 11 months in why that kind of work and data would not have been gathered. I know SickKids has been looking into this, but, I mean, the province is making a pretty big policy decision, and they haven't done really a collateral damage check to the children. So let me uh, let me make a quick comment about data and something you said earlier <clears throat> in terms of uh, children contributing or not contributing to the community transmission. This is exactly the kind of data we are currently not having in Ontario, and one of the reasons why our updated guidance document uh, is strongly recommending that we have a robust testing strategy in place in part to answer this question and identify where do we see mm-hmm. transmission in schools between children, between children and teachers, and vice versa, as well as trying to understand whether there's any kind of transmission then back into the community and how much of that we are actually seeing. So we don't have these data, and we need these data in order to safely open schools. 
I think when it comes to <clears throat> the significant impact um, school closures have had and, and the pandemic has had on children, we are beginning to see more and more uh, mental health uh, problems in children as the pandemic has gone on, even though we were able to open schools. I think it's a complex situation for children that is just amplified now by the previous and the current ongoing school, school closures. And we are honestly just beginning to collect the actual data on the magnitude of what we are seeing. So I, I know anecdotally <clears throat> from a number of my colleagues in the community who are pediatricians that they see up to 50, 60% of the children who come to their office have a mental health problem, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, and so on. We have seen this unprecedented crisis of eating disorders yeah. that has all of a sudden occurred, and we are now seeing this all across the country, in fact, all across North America, and we are now beginning to <clears throat> collect the actual data behind this, also trying to understand which aspects of the entire pandemic and the stressors that this has on all of us in society, but particularly children who kind of have been the unheard voice of this pandemic. Um, that's what we are doing right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone who understands eating disorders, and I've had family members with them, it's not an overnight thing. It doesn't just go away. It actually becomes a lifelong challenge that constantly presents itself. And it almost seems like we're okay having that collateral damage on the kids as long as we just lock them down from now in case they get COVID. And that, to me, sounds a little bit like we're okay with experimenting on kids. Sure, there's going to be a risk that they could get COVID, but so far... We haven't had children coming uh, forward with cases of this. Sure, there are numbers. We saw a positivity rate around the holidays go up. But children, by and large, have been okay with this. Do I read that right? You're absolutely correct. And if there is a silver lining of this current pandemic crisis, then it is that children, by and large, really do not get very sick from this. And we have seen this at the beginning of the pandemic when we actually just saw a few single uh, children here and there present to our emergency room or even had to come to the hospital. Now we see more children, but it continues to be the case that children <clears throat> are not getting very sick from this by and large. Having said that, children do play a role, obviously, in the transmission of the disease. Yeah. And we need to take this into account uh, <clears throat> so that we can protect their parents and their grandparents. Right. But you're absolutely correct. Children do not get very sick from this. And we have had a number of conversations with our colleagues in the UK where we see one of these new variants called B117, where you now see more children <clears throat> affected, like you see more in the general population being affected, but also these children do not get more sick from this. And so, I mean, I find it staggering that a G7 country, 11 months into this thing, does not have the data really to back up some of the decisions they're making. Uh, you know, to me, it's just they're making it up as they go along. And this far in, we shouldn't be doing this. And I don't get the sense. I mean, I, I'm seeing it in my own child, the, the anguish or the, the depression, the loneliness. I'm seeing it for myself, so I can only imagine what other parents are going through, certainly those who might have children with autism. And, I mean, how long can this go on? I mean, the closure's till February 10th now. I don't see them going back anytime soon. And how long before we start to see the long-term effects of this? 
I, I think we will already be seeing uh, at least medium-term effects of this pandemic. There will not be a time where we are going to declare the pandemic all of a sudden over. It will be fading away, and I think we will see some of the long-term effects on the children in the years to come. There's no doubt about this. Um, <clears throat> I do think... Um, you know, you talk about your own child, and I, mm. I, I share this with you with my own child being at home, but I think what really worries me that, yes, it affects most of the children, but it particularly affects the children who are already living in vulnerable yeah. conditions. I mean, this yeah. pandemic has brought to the forefront the health inequities that we have mm. known about for a very long time, mm. and we see this also as it relates to schools. The schools who are <clears throat> mostly at risk and who actually right now need the biggest and strongest support to implement the bundled measures for health and safety and testing are the schools in the hot zone areas where mostly children and families live who are more vulnerable and who don't right now have the support they need in order to send their children to school as well as also going to work. Yeah, it is, um, it is going to be a, a reckoning and, and a lot we have to answer for after this. Just before I let you go, Dr. Cohn, given with the community spread as it is now, do you still think schools should be open? I do think we need to continue to see a trend going down. I think as of now, right now, <clears throat> while we see just over the last few days the numbers going slightly down, this needs to be a prolonged trend of numbers continually uh, to continuously going down, but we can only do this in the context of higher community transmission today as compared to September if we really are strongly adhering to all the bundled measures of infection prevention and control and a robust testing strategy. I do think that there's not much wiggle room in the context of high community transmission, so we need to use the time now to, implement, to make sure that we can implement these measures rigorously. And then I think we can not only send children safely to school, but we can also keep the schools open. Well, if it's good enough for sick kids, uh, it is good enough for me. I mean, we always talk about sick kids being one of the best hospitals in the entire world. Um, so if it's good enough for you, I think a lot of parents would feel safe. Doctor, I thank you for your time. I know you've been very busy, but I appreciate you spending it here. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Ronald Cohn of the uh, CEO of SickKids. And so there you go. I think it's a weighing, a balance. What are we willing to risk? And what are we willing to put up with as long-term damages? That are, those are the questions we have to start asking ourselves. Ontario is the only province in the entire country that has imposed lockdown measures in this fashion. Ontario also has the fewest businesses fully open right now of the entire country. Alberta right now is opening hair salons and spas once again, uh, where, where Ontario has just put this blanket lockdown for the entire province, delinked from reason, delinked from data, uh, and, and we're deeply worried that this, you know, the consequence of this is going to be massive. That is Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. And um, the question is, like, when are the lockdowns ending? I mean, we're now into week four of shutdowns and cases are coming down, but nowhere near what they have to to get to an opening. I mean, they have to get under 
1,000 cases. We're nowhere near that. And um, so I think we're looking at at least a couple of months if this is the only strategy, because apparently there's no other strategy. I mean, I mean, imagine if you're a business owner where you've had to close through no fault of your own, and now you're just sitting and waiting with absolutely no clue when you can open, what's going on, what your future looks like. And the CFIB did some more analysis and predicted back in July that lockdowns would crush 158,000 small businesses in this country. Now they're saying the situation with new lockdowns have worsened to the point where we could lose up to 180,000 businesses. And we're talking, that's 2.4 million jobs. That is not a small number. So when we talk about essential, this is why that bugs me so much, of non-essential. These are essential people. They're our economy. Francesca Rochetti is owner of Francesca Salon and Spa. She joins us now. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. I know you've had a really hard time. I mean, you own a very successful spa. So this is not a business that was on the brink going into this thing. You own a very successful business that you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into for the last three decades. And you've locked down once. You've been locked down for, what, three months now? How are you, are you able to hold on? You know what, Alex? You know, I debate the same thing every day, every day. It's like March would be 28 years we've owned that business. So it's like mm-hmm. a baby. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you like, you try to weigh out your, your priorities. Like, what do you do? Like, we're between a rock and a hard place right now. It's, you know, the first time was devastating, okay? And now the second time, it's like, how much more can these small businesses take? You know, we just can't recover from this. This is, like, we did everything they asked. We spent over $20,000 in PPE and plexiglass and this and that. The first time around, we, as an industry... I don't even think, you know, don't quote me, but I only heard one case in our industry. And he's locked us down and the cases still still keep going up. So I don't think we're the problem. We did what he asked. We did all the PPE. We did all the, the, the mandatory you know, guidelines and everything and, and writing down every client that walked in. We did that. We're tracking. We did all mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? And he locked us down again with no reason. And no. it doesn't look like it's coming to an end anytime soon. I just can't see it happening um, with the case numbers this high. And so what what is, like, where does your mind go when when you're trying to put the Band-Aids on? I mean, how many more do you have left? Like, how, like, how do, how can we, Alex, how can we? Like, it, it, it's almost impossible. The last time we went back, our business was down 50%. Now we're going back with another lockdown of three, who knows when we're going back, okay? I'm telling you right now, I don't know, maybe April, May. I have no idea what the future will hold. But how can, how can a business sustain that? Death after death after death after death. Come on, like you just, we just can't do it anymore. As a small business, we just can't do it anymore. It's just, and you have, and you have, and then we got to pay all this stuff that they give us back, anyways. And what does it do, Alex? It puts a band aid. Yeah. What is a band aid going to do? It's going to hold for so long. And then what? 
And so you've exhausted all the provincial and federal aid programs. I mean, they, they are kind of just, uh, like I said, they are a Band-Aid. They buy a little bit of time. But a little bit you're of time. now at the Okay, yeah. like a little bit of time. Come on. I have like X amount of employees. A lot of things I'm not even eligible for because I have too many employees. So you know what? I mean, honestly, Alex, it's, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking because March would be 28 years that we've been in business, you know, working our butts off day in and day out, being legit, paying all our taxes, doing what we have to do. And then this, like, we can't come back from the second time. The second time around, they, like, I don't even know if they understand what is going on. Like, the numbers are not coming from us. They're just no, we know that, but... Um, Look, at but... Look at the numbers, man. Come on. So what's your next steps? I mean, do you walk away? I can't imagine 28 years of putting that together. It's like, what do you do? You go back and what? You're down 75%. Is it really worth it to go back? Do you feel like they've scapegoated, uh, you you know, small businesses? Oh, oh, honestly, the the small businesses, I don't know what's going to be left. I mean, you drive down the streets today when I go out grocery shopping and I drive down these streets. It's like a ghost town. Half of the places are boarded up and painted like all these small businesses. It's like it's already disgusting already. Can you wait Wait and see when the sand finally settles? Wait to see what's going to be out there. I don't know how many of us can survive. And then what do we do? We're all on unemployment? Like, I don't get it. I really don't get what's going on. Well, yeah, and and so then for you, um, it's a decision either of trying to fight your way back or, or simply just shutting the doors um, to, Alex, to basically a life's work. Twenty eight years. How do you walk Darn away? Twenty eight years, Alex. Come on. Yeah. So you, have so have you that count on me? You know what I mean. That's the part that that you know that this government's not getting man it's our you know what you're working for the small business no you're not working for the small business man we need to get back to work we need to help all these small people get back on their feet we can't all be on unemployment we got to make this world happen again and nothing was coming from us we were doing what was asked of us we were doing the guidelines following the ppe doing what they asked of us and the numbers weren't coming from us let us and get so, back work. Let us put this, this 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 place back on the map, man. Like we can't keep going like this. This is crazy. crazy. It's a it's a mixture of frustration, um, yeah, you know, sadness, uh, stress. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can sense it. I mean, I I know you for a few years, so I can I can hear just a. Uh, you know, how frustrated it is because it's also very personal for you guys. And so, I mean, what what's what's the hard line for you? Like not being able to go back and do this. Like how, like how do they, like I want to bring back all my people, but how can I bring back all my people when I know that the business is going to be down 25% because it's like a nightmare out there. Half of the people don't want to leave their homes. Half of the people are getting serviced at home. And that's why our numbers keep going up. Like, you know, like, you know, one third of the people are not like behaving. Yeah. You know what? Lock down this goddamn country for like seven days. Everybody, nobody's allowed out of their house. Seven days. Nobody is allowed to go anywhere. 
and let's be done with this and go on with our lives. Why can't we do that? Why is it this person and that person and maybe that person? Oh, maybe we won't get any more numbers if we lock this person down. It's like, this is getting ridiculous now. Like, how do you want the people to follow this government? How? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people 11 months in are saying, you know, we're just dragging out the uh, inevitable. Let's just get it done. I feel for you, Francesca, and um, I'll keep checking in with you because I know that you're fighting hard to stay somewhat alive, even just to bring your staff back. So I I know it's uh, a god to lose a business like yours, um, you know, uh, and other healthy businesses. It's just uh, really, really unfair. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Alex. You know what? Keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. You're our voice. Keep going, girl. We'll try. Thanks, Francesca. That's Francesca uh, Ricchetti of um, Francesca Salon and Spa in Forest Hill. I mean, look, there's a business not on the brink, never needed help. Why why are they all in this position? Because those in charge can't figure their crap out? It's just so, so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. You can join us, of course, Monday through Friday, 630 sharp here. Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio.